0: Okay, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in for episode 12 of our chapter chat. We're working through the book of Acts, one chapter at a time, and today we come, uh, not surprisingly, to Acts chapter 12. That's that's, that's how numbers work, Jason. <laughs> as far as I can tell, you're right. Yeah. Um, so... We're in uh, this chapter that uh, it's a little bit shorter than uh, some of the other chapters that we've had recently, and so we might be able to not be so long-winded today. But who knows? We never don't can't, speak uh, too soon. Uh, yeah, age. I know that probably will jinx it. But um, uh, this chapter, uh, really, when we begin this, the first several verses, uh, it, it, there's, it's really rather shocking, and, and really, in a lot of ways, this is kind of a depressing chapter. Mm -hmm. Um, There's kind of a mix of, I guess, emotions, but uh, there are some things here that, at least in the, the beginning, that seem to put a damper on all of the, the good successes, you know, that we've seen with, with the early church and with the kingdom. You know, up until this point, I, 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 the, the thing that came to my mind was that song that we sometimes sing with our kids about roll the gospel chariot along, and if the devil's in the way, we will roll right over him. Mm. And that's just what that's what's happened like time and time again, all these different obstacles that the devil has thrown down. Hey, the Lord just finds a way to just roll right over him. These first few verses of chapter 12, really, though, seem to strike such a harsh and painful blow that, I don't know, if, if I was living in first century times, if I was right there while all this would happen was, was, was taking place, um, I think there'd be part of me that would be thinking, uh-oh, the gospel chariot's not rolling along so strong now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of the drama of, of Luke as a writer and, and the way that he works, because he's going to paint for us and describe for us what seems like an absolutely hopeless situation, and that's really just going to serve to show how great God is and how he's able to take something that seems so hopeless and he's going to create um, you know this great moment of 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 of, of his work continuing on and uh, him receiving the glory for it, yeah, nonetheless, yeah. Um, so let's just read. Let's, we've talked about it. Let's just quit skirting around. Let's just talk about what exactly happens here. And it's told us right here at the beginning of verse 1. This is kind of Luke has continued to kind of pan the screen back and forth to different things. At the end of chapter 11, we'd spend a little bit of time in the Antioch church with Paul and Barnabas, and that will resume uh, that picture when we get over here to, to the next chapter. But now we pan back over to Peter. And Peter very much has been the... If you want to say that there's somebody who's been like kind of the lead actor, uh, so to speak, um, for the first half of of Acts, Peter would be that guy. And um, he's going to play a prominent role in this chapter as well. So chapter 12, verse 1, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Verse 2, He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the Days of Unleavened Bread. Just pause and stop right there and reflect on the seriousness of what's taking place here. Because what's just taking place here is we've now had an apostle killed, murdered. uh, James, the brother of John. Um, And actually, this is just kind of a complete side note. But I do think this is probably... Uh, the fact that James dies this early on, we're probably talking 44, 45 A.D. or so, mm. it's probably pretty good indication that this is not the James who wrote the epistle of James. Uh, because right. if that was the case, that would mean that that epistle would be like the very first epistle. Uh, and that doesn't mm. seem to, to fit with, with the chronology of, 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 um, of all of that. That probably is the James who's the brother of Jesus. That's a, like I said, a total side note, but... But James is killed here, and um, I don't know, there's, there's lots of questions that I actually have about this, and uh, I'm not going to, I don't know that I'll know the answers in this lifetime, mm-hmm. but I guess the first question that I have is, why did God allow this to happen? You know, um, We're going to read here in just a few minutes about, uh, with Peter's arrest, that the church prayed for him, and, and we'll talk a lot about that when we get there. But even though the text doesn't say it, I think it's safe to say the church probably prayed just as fervently for James. And so my question is, why? Why then did God not answer that prayer in in a in an affirmative, positive way, and you know, grant him safety and release, and you know, send an angel for him? That's kind of getting ahead of our spoiler alert a little bit.
1: Um,
0: why didn't he do that? And, and, and I don't know.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, it just seems like there's a, a, several times where. Some of God's people are uh, taken out of the fire. You know, don't, they don't have to go through uh, what some others do have to go through. And it's, yeah. it's just like, to us, we don't understand, you know, why? Why does this person not have to experience it, but this other person does? Yeah. Um, and, and the truth is, like you were saying, we don't know. There's no way for us to know why it happened that way why god allowed this to happen to james but you know peter there was a different thing i I don't think it was that that peter was so much better than james or anything like that but it it was there's a different purpose and we we, from our perspective we might not see the purpose yeah um and and that's that's hard because we like to understand everything we want to have all of our ducks in a row and, and understand exactly here's why god did this well, truth is, we don't. We uh, we we don't know.
0: Yeah, and if I'm asking that question two thousand years later, I I often think about if if I'm John, James's brother, you know. So we had these two sets of brothers in the apostles, and um, you know, Andrew's brother, he got he got to be saved, but my brother didn't get to be saved, and. Um, What's the deal there? You know, you could probably, you know, we, 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 could, we could look at it from that earthly standpoint. We could also look at it from the heavenly standpoint that, you know what? That just means James got to enter into uh, his reward and into paradise uh, that much sooner than everybody else. Yeah, uh, so, you know, glass half full there. Um, having said that, though, this would have been just a, a, a huge blow. Uh, uh, this is this is the devil making a strong strike against Against the kingdom uh, here during the early stages of the church, uh, I might I say something about this Herod? This is Herod. My understanding this is Herod Agrippa. This would be like the grandson of Herod the Baby Killer, right? Um, right. Yep. Herod the Great is what Herod he was Green. known as. Great. But but if you know your Bible history, that's the Baby Killer. That's the one who wanted to kill Jesus, um, and. Herod Agrippa, from, from everything that I've ever read about the guy, and I've had some, I remember sitting in Bible class once where a brother was talking about the different Herods, uh, he was a staunch Jew. Um, fully committed to, uh, to, to to the Jewish way of things. Um, you'll notice that it says there at the end of verse three that this was during the days of unleavened bread, um, and then verse four is going to go on to say that they were intending after the Passover uh, to to bring Peter out to the people, and they were going to do this you know, big public execution. It seems like, um, but that probably is is an indication to us that all right, this Herod he's wanting to observe, you know, the Jewish. Um, r- rituals and all the things that went along with that, you know, um, just like with Jesus, you know, well, we've got to make sure we don't go and arrest Him and do all this stuff while it's still the Passover. Mm. Uh, we're going to do all this stuff later, and then, of course, on the Sabbath day uh, when it's time to take His body off the cross. We don't, we don't want to be doing work on the Sabbath. Uh, and Herod seems mindful of those sorts of things. Um, and so the fact that he would take these actions against people who were, in the eyes of many, were rebelling against Judaism. Peter, James, the apostles, all these other Christians. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that would have carried him great favor and great respect in the eyes of these other Jewish purists. Um, and that's exactly what happens when he takes James in and uh, and kills him. The verse three says that when uh, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, then well, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, they're ready. You're such a
1: hero. Okay, well, who else can I do this to? <laughs> uh,
0: and so uh, Peter's the next one that he starts to uh, to pick off. Um,
1: we see that attitude just of uh, you know I, I want to please everyone else. Yeah, you know please the people so that he gets the glory. Yeah, and and that's very. much... Much the kind of person he was, it seems like. Yes, um, you know, as opposed to the attitude we've seen constantly throughout um, Acts so far of the apostles. You know, it's not about them. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. It's about glorifying Him. Yeah, um, and I think that, that that's that's a huge major role in this. Um, you know, the actions of of non Christians um, can affect our faith. Um, and sometimes there there are going to be times when issues come up that uh, we we're going to be faced with some situations that might not be fair, might not be just. Um, but you know that's that's just that's the way the world works, and yeah. that's that's what we're going to be faced with sometimes. Um, and that's I think we see that even more so when people are exalting themselves. Um, it's it's easy to put other people down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and we'll we'll
0: talk more about that character of Herod when we get here to the to the end of the chapter because yeah. you know for as much as is he's playing a part in leveling this huge blow against Christianity at the beginning of the chapter, he's going to get his yeah exactly <laughs> before this chapter yeah. is over in a big way. Very true. Um, th- there's the expression that's used in verse one. Um, and, and and I think the, the New American Standard renders it the same way. It's not rendered like this in, in all the other translations, but the ESV and the New American Standard use this expression. They lay violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation with a, a, a older, wiser, dear brother in Christ who said that he's just always been bothered when people use that expression about you know belonging to, uh, to the church or, or belonging to even a church like to a congregation. Um, I actually, I, I I like that language. I I think there's something to that. Yes, they belong to Christ. Yes, first and foremost. Um, but the church is the body of Christ, and if we're part of that body, then yeah. If I'm a member of that, then yes, I belong to that body. Um, but I, but I like that language of you know denoting ownership and um, what I'm part of. Uh, and, and that certainly is the way that uh, Luke, as he writes this, I think that's the way that he views, you know, the, the congregations of God's people uh, everywhere. Uh, that we belong to to one another as we all belong to Christ.
1: Yeah, no, I hadn't considered that, but that that's a good point. I, I like the the nuance of that and how that that's worded, um, because I, I think that sometimes uh, people try to divorce religion from serving Christ, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, there's a big movement now that's like, you know, I I love Christ, but I don't love the church. Yeah. Um, It's like, well, you know, in a lot of ways, as you were saying, Christ's body is the church and that's what it is. And so you can't have one without the other. You can't. Um, You know, we can't separate those. Like in in the end of Acts 2, people didn't join the church, the Lord added them. Right. And so we, if, we should be proud to be part of something that the Lord adds us to, not yeah. something not something that we're doing on our own.
0: Well, those people who were, you know, um, d- making it known that that's that, that, that's what they're part of, and that's to whom we belong. Those are the ones that were being starting to be picked off. When it says in verse two that he killed James with the sword, um, you know, Luke doesn't spell it out, but that probably indicates he probably was beheaded. It, there, mm-hmm. it seems like there's kind of a longstanding tradition that that is that that was James's demise, that they did behead him. Um, uh, verse 4, uh, let's, let's grab that. So This was during the days of Unleavened Bread, verse 4. And when he had seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. A um, couple things I want to point out here. First of all, verse 4, the ESV, and I assume the New American Standard, correctly renders the word Passover there. Yes, correct. All right, if you're reading the King James Bible, it's not going to say Passover. If you're reading the old King James Bible, it's going to have the word Easter. And I will not for one second apologize for saying that that is a bad, bad translation. Um, that is not what the word is. It is the word, unless, if I remember correctly, it's the word pasha, 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 um, which is translated everywhere else in the New Testament as the Passover. I'm not sure what caused the translators back in 1611 to decide on this one occasion, because this is the only other time that it's, that, 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 that is found uh, in the King James Bible to render it Easter I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if there was. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to assume that there was some nefarious motive there, um, but it just does go to show that Bible translations are done by fallible people. There's no perfect translation out there. It doesn't mean that the Bible isn't perfect. The Bible is perfect, um, but the translations that we have are, uh, you know, that's that, that's the work of men and. Uninspired men, as you know. On top of that, um, so we're talking about the Passover. That's what's that. That's the that's the time of year that that this is. It's the it's Passover time. And really, even you know the indication from from verse three about during the days of unleavened bread. Well, that, that should also have been a clue that he's just talking about the Passover. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say about verse four is, look at all of the detail that's that's given here. and, and we're gonna see that again when we get into the to, to the next several verses uh, when when we read about um, you know all all the details of like when, when Peter's exiting the prison and there's just some things that are noticed. Uh, the things that are specified here, he was delivered to four squads of soldiers uh, who are guarding him. Um, th- that's the first of just many little details that I, I tend to think, this is information that Luke had, because Peter had told him these mm-hmm. things. Right. You know, these these are details that he just would not have known otherwise. I, I do understand that yes, the Holy Spirit could just give Luke all of this information, and and that does I'm sure that does happen in the Bible where the Holy Spirit you know just gives the information to the person who's writing even though they weren't there and they didn't see any of this. Uh, but there's just lots of these little details that we're going to notice in this chapter that I think just that goes to show that, that God can also use, you know, the the researched information, you know, that the writers themselves had gathered. And in this case, I think Aunt Luke would have gathered this information, you know, just directly from Peter. Um, you know, I've, I've made the point before in, in in Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel. There's a long-standing tradition that that Peter. Um, kind of maybe helped him fill in a lot of the the details on that. You know, you read yeah. in Peter's epistle, he makes mention of of, of John Mark there, and uh, and funny because we're going to be talking about John Mark in this chapter. Um, but um, a lot of the details that he had, he couldn't have come from anybody else but Peter, and and I think that's the case here as well. Just kind of this combination of yes, spirit inspiration, but also information that was supplied by. By someone who was actually there and would have remembered. I mean, this would have been think about all the things in Peter's life that would have been memorable events. Certainly, so many things while Jesus was on Earth that would have been really memorable for Peter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This one would have been pretty memorable as well, because yeah. this was you know the the day when he. I think he was pretty sure he probably was going to die. Uh, and I'm going to make a strong yeah. point for why I think he, he actually thought that was going to happen here in just a minute. Um, and, and all the other brothers and sisters thought that as well. Um and I think he would. That would have caused him to remember just lots of details about just the setting of where he was and the things he saw. And we walked past this, and there was that. And um, so that's just a little. Again, it's just a little contextual
1: when I think about just the text itself. I think it, stuff like that helps us to realize this was. You know, these were real people. They yeah. had real emotions, and they were really there. Um, you know, I think sometimes we we try to. Um, I don't know make the bible some kind of like dry rule book here follow this do this don't do that but no there's story this yeah. is rich you know there's the narrative there and i mean you you think about too um luke has put in some effort in order to write this um you don't don't see that well i mean you do see that in in what he did uh and and how he, he researched this but at the beginning of the book of luke when he talks about how he's why he's writing and and how he developed all that it, it said uh, he put together the eyewitness accounts and, and testimony of everything that that he wrote and so that took that took some time and effort um you know, when we serve the Lord, sometimes I think that we think everything should just be rained down on us miraculously and we should just receive knowledge and we're okay now. Mm-hmm. No, it takes work, it yeah. takes effort, and, and we, we have a part to play in that. And so I think we definitely see Luke's part uh, in how he writes.
0: Yeah. Um, well, verse 5 is very much a, a Lukean, is that a word? It, 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 this sure. is a this is a Lukean thing, because he's going to put the emphasis on the fact that when when God's people found themselves in times of trouble and distress, what did they do? They prayed, mm-hmm. and Luke's gospel is the gospel of prayer. Is it not? I know you're leading a study of, of Luke, and I know you've had to have noticed that. Luke probably records more about prayer and parables about prayer yep, than several. any of the other gospel writers do. Yep. Um, and so it should be no surprise to us that when we come now to his sequel, the book of Acts, that, and we've already noticed, just lots of other places where the people were devoted to prayer. And and this is one of those great occasions that, and, and this maybe shows us as well that, you know what, it's... it's Sometimes we kind of talk down upon the idea of, you know, praying to God in times of distress, and we get on our high Well, We we ought to just be praying to God all the time anyway. Well, we should, <laughs> but you know what? In times of great distress and hardship, even more will we call upon the Lord and lean upon Him. Uh, in that way. And that was the church's response uh, in, in verse 5. And that's, that's without Luke just kind of making that statement, but I'm going to kind of make that statement from the sum total of what we've studied in Acts thus far. And that is, um, in, in distress, what are God's people to do? We turn to God in prayer. And, and in particular, I want us to think about the fact that this is in response to governmental persecution. Persecution you know, and and we're we're talking about real government persecution, (laughs) not our definition of what is sometimes government persecution, the response of the early church was not, well, you know what, we need to go storm the steps of the Capitol building, and we need to picket and riot, and we need to, you know, have a big protest there, and we're going to call, you come out of there, you scaredy-cat, and you come out here and fight, that's not what they did. and. And I I know that even though I'm saying that, I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong for for people to do, citizens of a country to do. But as Christians, that's that's not the battlefield upon which we fight. Uh, The battlefield upon which we fight is a spiritual one, and the tools that we have been given are not carnal in nature. One of the tools, one of the instruments of warfare that we utilize is prayer. And that's what God's people do in response to, yes, even government persecution um, is that we pray. And then we let, and, and, and we let God take care of how that's going to get sorted out.
1: Yeah, I th- just because you brought up Luke, um, you know, chapter 18 of Luke when he talks about, and it's funny because Luke oftentimes when he's talking about the parables of Jesus, he'll tell you why Jesus had mm-hmm. certain things to say. Yeah. And the, the first parable there, he, he says, uh, he was teaching a parable to show them that they need to pray and not lose heart. Yep. Um, and, and that's what it is. We We are persistent in prayer. Uh, not that we're trying to wear God down, but that we care enough, and we realize that God cares too, and that uh, it, you know, that that word that being made fervently here mm-hmm. in, in Acts twelve five um, that's that's impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like, well, I prayed for it once. You know, that's good enough. No, if, if we're deeply moved about something, if if it really matters to us, we're going to keep going back to the Lord. Yeah. You know, think about you know Jesus. How many times did he ask, you know, the, "Let this cup pass from me," and and how how heartfelt that prayer was. Um, this is this is impressive to see that. I, I think that sometimes we do lose heart and and we don't pray as often or as fervently as as we should. Um, and and we see throughout Acts, and I guess this is a good place to to point that out. The church comes together to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, how often do we have group prayer meetings and, and that sort of thing? I, I I think not not enough. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just really cool to see that.
0: You know, Wednesday nights once upon a time used to just be referred to as Wednesday night prayer meeting. Yeah. It's now for us just Wednesday night Bible study, which there's nothing wrong with Bible study. Bible study's good. It's good, yeah. Uh, but there was a day when the concept of meeting in the middle of the week meant, as Christians, hey, we're just going to devote that hour or however long to just, just praying together. And, yeah. uh, it probably makes us a little uncomfortable. You know, we sing songs like Sweet Hour of Prayer. You
1: know, hmm.
0: When's the last time you
1: actually prayed for an hour? Whole hour. Yeah. I, yeah. After like two minutes, a lot of people are like, man, this is long. I, and I'll be honest, I feel like a hypocrite sometimes when I yeah, sing that song because
0: uh, I cannot honestly say that I know about a sweet hour of prayer. And and that's not because the Bible, you know, mandates that you have to do that and you time it and anything like that. But, but it's the idea of of being devoted to prayer, and and that's where we turn to. You know, when Paul writes about pray without ceasing, he doesn't mean you pray twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. But what he means is that that's just our that's our knee jerk reaction. That that's what we do that at, 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 at every occasion and uh, in response to whatever we're facing in life. Prayer. I've got a prayer muscle that that's just reflexive uh, about me.
1: Um, I, I want to bring up something that uh, just a few months ago there was a situation where uh, there was a, a family who lost their son, and he, he was you know he was like eighteen or nineteen, uh, just kind of young, and it was just a, a very traumatic thing and, and very you know heart wrenching as you can imagine, mm-hmm. uh, just completely unexpected and. Um, there was someone had organized uh, like like a I don't know what they even called it but uh, you you just signed up for a time you you signed up for a one hour slot of, of to pray for that family that situation mm-hmm. everything that's associated with that and and for several days you had people that signed up and, and so. Constantly, 24 hours a day, somebody was praying. Mm. Uh, And I I just thought that was really cool. I hadn't been part of that before. I hadn't seen that before. I I just thought that that was was a cool thing um, that I'm sure helped the the family that was in need at the time.
0: Well, and the concept here of, uh, so in verse 5, the idea here of uh, that the church prayed, I I, I don't think we need to get into the, the thinking that well, okay. If we can, as long as we can get more people, you know, added to the number, well, that's going to make it more possible that God will respond. God can respond if just one person yeah. prays. So it's not about we need to accumulate a bunch of numbers. Um, I, I think what 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 the, these people here in Acts is showing us, and what just the general tenor of Scripture is trying to show us, that there is there is power, there is encouragement that comes in praying together. You know that that passage in James five sixteen that talks about you know, confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another. If if if, if you've ever you know done that before, with with, with a, even with just one other Christian, where yeah. you are sitting down and you are sharing some of the deepest, maybe darkest things of your life and your heart, and then you go to God in prayer. Man, that is a powerful thing, mm-hmm. and. Um, the idea here of, of of the whole church coming together and all is one heart and one mind, think about how that helps to foster unity as well when we're all praying for the same thing. Um, there's just all kinds of other benefits that come along with that. Again, it's not about, well, send me hands we can get rubbing on the lamp uh, sure. and God will maybe answer. Or even when we think about the idea of, you know, the Luke 18 about the idea of being persistent in prayer, well, it's not about. You know, if if I rub the lamp this many times, then God will finally answer. That's not even the point of, of that parable. No, right. Uh, the, the point is that we would just be people who are devoted to that, and that we we, we desire uh, to speak to our Father in in good times and bad times, at all times. Um, and and the church here in Acts chapter twelve uh, is modeling that for us in a great way.
1: Yeah, that, and that's that's I'm glad you brought those points up. Um, because we do need to realize why we're doing it yeah. and not just well I'm going through the motions you know I said the words no there there's it's a psych- okay I'm not going to say it's, it's not just psychological but it that does help mm-hmm. you know doesn't yeah. it it, it yeah. helps us to humble ourselves and and understand our role and how little we can do and yeah. how little we can handle and 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 we're laying it down in front of the father and so so that the lord can do something, you know, how encouraging is it to hear uh, other people say, you know, I've been praying for you, you know, you, you've you been going through a tough situation mm-hmm. or, or or whatever, and, and it just, it helps a lot, um, and, and there's a lot of intangible ways, I, I think, that, that that helps as well.
0: Yeah. Um, th- these folks are praying because, I'm going to go back to what I said toward the beginning, uh, that I think what they that they foresee, that this is if not hopeless, they at least recognize we're powerless here. Mm. There's nothing that we can do about this. You know, personally, it's not like any of us we're gonna go break in and crack him out of jail uh, or do anything along those lines. Uh, they recognize that God is, is the only one who can do something. This is like when the, you know, the doctor comes into the family and says, "Look, we've done all that we can do. There's 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 nothing else." Um, it's in moments like that that we really feel the weight of i I have no other recourse now but to lay it fully in god 's hands uh, not that i wasn't putting it in his hands before, but now it's it's really the recognition that everything about this is in his hands now, and I think that's the way that they were approaching this um say something just real quick as well one more time about this issue of of Herod doing this to uh, to to please these people, um, and then of course trying to be observant of the Jewish festivals and so forth, so as not to to you know make an enemy out of these Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that speaks to the fact that they needed the, the, these Jewish people needed Herod, and Herod needed these Jewish people. Um, he needed their cooperation so that he can you know maintain his position. Yeah. Uh, right. And they needed his cooperation so that uh, they're not maybe feeling the, the, the pressure as much of the Romans. You know, hey, Herod's got us under control. We're all getting along. Romans, just leave us alone. We can still do our thing over here. Uh, and so it was a you know, kind of a mutually beneficial relationship for them to you know scratch each other's backs. And, um, and that's kind of still at play here. I'm just bringing that up because um, th- this issue of, of, of the Jews... That's the real kind of villain here in the book of Acts. I, I think mm-hmm. we make the mistake of of just assuming, you know, it's the Romans, and mm-hmm. these big bad Romans coming in and these gentile godless people, they're the ones causing all the trouble for for the church. That's really not the case. Right. Um it's it, the, the real problem are these are the, the Judaizing people. Um and a lot of that's going to come to a kind of come to a head in chapter 15. Um, but but let's just be mindful that that's really kind of who's who's orchestrating a lot of the problems in the background. Um, and this chapter is showing that in a in a big way.
1: I, I think one thing to think about here, you know, when it, when it calls Herod the king. You know, sometimes we look at that word and, and we're like, "Oh, he's the ultimate authority and <laughs> yeah. the ruler." You know, that wasn't—he wasn't really a king. Yeah. I mean, that's—he liked to call himself that. You like know?
0: a token figurehead, yeah. mostly.
1: Right. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, and so he and he needed this job probably. Yeah. Like, again, I, I don't want to make my bosses. I don't want to make Big Daddy Caesar or uh, whoever. Uh, I think maybe Caligula maybe might have been the emperor at this time uh, or whoever was. And I don't want to make them mad because I want still my comfy you know position here. Yeah. Um. So all right, so we've got so we've got Peter. The expectation is is that you know once all right once Passover and all that stuff's done we're going to have ourselves a a good old-fashioned public execution, and that's really going to uh, win him some points in the eyes of the Jews. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Can I just say right here... uh, the first thought take away the thought that he's sleeping, but the first thought of Peter being chained to two soldiers the first thing that always comes to my mind and I think about this with Paul as well, when Paul is you know chained to soldiers uh, later on uh, is, "I feel sorry for those soldiers." <laughs> being, being chained to a gospel preacher. Yeah. What, what a terrible <laughs> existence those guys would have on a day-to-day basis. Especially Peter. I mean, the guy mm-hmm. who's always just saying crazy things and putting his foot in his mouth. Um, they they kind of lucked out though, because at least on this night, Peter was asleep. And i will say something <laughs> about that in a second. That's good. <laughs> He's sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. Again, look at all those details.
1: Yeah, yeah. That, That's
0: details that really only Peter and, and the Holy Spirit w- would have known.
1: I think it's kind of amazing. There's so many soldiers for one guy. <laughs> I, know. Oh, I wonder if they considered him a flight risk since he, he broke out like two other times already. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I wonder if that's in the back of their mind. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, well, let's, Let me just say something about the sleeping thing. Um, I, I, I believe Peter... Thought that this was it and this was going to be the end for him. Um, And the fact that he's asleep says something about how deeply settled he was in his faith and where he was with the Lord. Mm -hmm. This is it. Okay. At least get a good night's sleep before I go out. Uh, There's not, you know, he's not riddled with anxiety and worry about what's going to happen the next day. Now I realize saying all that, it may be just he was so physically exhausted he just could not stay awake and think about those things. But I, I tend to think more along the lines of he knew where he stood and he he knew what had happened to James and he I'm sure he knew that James was ready to go as well. Um, and I'm ready to meet the Lord and that's that's just powerful. Uh, I wanna I wanna be able to be that same way whenever my hour comes. Yeah, um,
1: you know, it It to be able to sleep. When any kind of stress is going on, I mean, we've all experienced that. It's hard. Yeah. Um, and the only way you can can really, truly sleep and get rest is, is when you do feel at peace. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me of when uh, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and that we, we hear about King Darius, I think it was, who at the time, he he wasn't able to sleep all night because he was so concerned about Daniel. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, Daniel probably slept better than he did yeah. next to the lions. Right, you right. Know? When the Lord's with you, I mean, we don't have to worry. We don't, yeah. we don't have to be concerned.
0: And, and, and in the case of Peter here, it, he he's sleeping heavy. Because the uh, yeah, next
1: verse for. is going to tell us. I mean, the
0: angels over here like <laughs> banging him and, and elbowing Wake up. Uh, so verse 7. "...and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell..." So obviously, just turning on the lights doesn't doesn't affect Peter. Uh, "...he struck Peter on the side had to bang him, and woke him, saying, "'Get up quickly.' And the chains fell off of his hands. And the angel said to him, "'Dress yourself and put on your sandals.' And he did so. And he said to him, "'Wrap your cloak around you and follow me.' And he went out and followed him, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real." But thought that he was seeing a vision. And I appreciate Luke kind of making that note because Luke is able to differentiate that there are occasions where uh, people think it's it's kind of just a hallucination, mm-hmm. but then there are other occasions where people do see a vision. Cornelius yeah. saw this. Peter saw a vision in in that chapter with Cornelius. Yeah. Um, this occasion, Peter he thought he was seeing a vision, but no, this was the real thing. An angel really was there. Verse ten. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. Again, those, are, those are, that's very specific details. Yeah. It opened for them of its own accord. That would have been cool to see. <laughs> and they, you know, chains just falling off, just magically. <laughs> uh, you know, Gates just opening on their own. And they went out and they went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said... Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting and so this is a a, a tremendous you know I guess it's a miracle because there's miraculous things haven't ever changed just falling off and gates opening that's miraculous mm-hmm. uh, God sending an angel I, I, I don't know if I don't know if I should we call that miraculous necessarily? It's certainly, you know, otherworldly,
1: right? Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that's true. But God is causing amazing things to happen. The, the important thing here is God is responding to the prayers of His children and uh, is answering in a in 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 a big way. That Peter's life is going to be spared. God has more work for him to do. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's part of the answer to the James question. Maybe God saw that James's his work was done, and that's why He allowed him to to be taken and you know didn't set him free. Um, but He's got more in store for Peter. Don't know. Um,
1: find out right. one day. Yeah, and that's you know Peter. Uh, we don't see him after this occasion being like, whew, that was such a close call." I think I'm just going to take it easy the rest of my life, and yeah. you know, just really enjoy things, stop to smell the roses, kind of thing. It was like, nope. Right. <laughs> he, was, he went right back to it. Yep. Um, and, and and that just shows he had some other things that he needed to do. Yeah. For
0: sure. Um, I don't know. What else you want to say here about the, the angel's delivery in these verses?
1: Well, maybe it's another slap in the face to the Sadducees. Uh, <laughs> it was, an, uh, once again, an angel yeah. that let them out. They didn't believe in angels, in case you forgot. Uh, but, yeah, that, that was um, it was kind of an amazing thing.
0: Yeah. Um, and, you know, we could get off on a tangent talking about angels. E- even though I, I'm, I'm not persuaded that angels... Work in, in that same kind of visible way today, to where, to where you know you're able to say decisively what Peter says in verse 11. I am sure that the Lord sent an angel and rescued me. I'm not I'm not yeah. I'm not 100% persuaded that I can always you know pinpoint exact moments in my life where an angel you know delivers me safely through something or prevents something from happening. Um, despite all of that, I am still confident that angels are at work. The book yeah. of Hebrews, I think, makes that point very clearly. The ministering spirits are working on our behalf, um, maybe kind of working in an invisible fashion, or maybe they're taking on you know, human form to where we just wouldn't, wouldn't even recognize in, anything different uh, about them. Uh, but we can still uh, be confident and be thankful to God uh, that these ministering spirits that were working in New Testament times in very um, overt, tangible ways
1: they are still working on our behalf today and and we can be we can be glad for that yeah i i think any time we get a glimpse into like the spiritual realm it, uh, it's just we cannot comprehend what's going on there yeah. and and that's there's not a whole lot of mention made but every time it is it's just like so like as a matter of fact you know here here it is uh, you know you think of the first 3 chapters of ephesians how many times does it talk about the heavenly places and, yeah, you know the the spirits there and and you read in daniel of the of the the like the war between the the angels from different countries and that sort of thing and and it's just like I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we don't see and right. that, that we, we don't really understand or the statement of, of was it when Jesus said that um, you know don't take advantage of the children because they're angels standing in, in the presence of God right. constantly yeah um, and so there yeah there there's definitely a tangent we could get down and maybe we have a little bit um, but you know there's, well, there's a just, lot that we don't see
0: yes and I just think it's important to say okay all right yes maybe angels aren't doing these kinds of things in, in this kind of open way today but but what what was true for, for New Testament Christians in the first century in that sense it's still true today um, mm-hmm. that God is at work and he does utilize angels as ministering spirits to, to 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 carry out some of that work from time to time, and, um,
1: and I so, think it shows God is active. He's
0: still active. Yes,
1: yes. amen.
0: Um, verse twelve. After coming to all this, when Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Um, let me say something about that. It's not specifically stated here, but I think the fact that Peter went to uh, the house of Mary, John Mark's mother, uh, where people were gathered together, that probably says that he knew that this would be a place where Christians were going to be. Yeah, um, that maybe this had been their habit and their practice for some time. There's there, it's been speculated that this place, you know, Mary's place here. May be the same place that is described as the upper room in chapter one mm-hmm. of Acts, where the disciples were gathered together, which also may also be the same upper room where Jesus and the disciples had gathered together to observe the Passover and Jesus yes. instituted the Lord's Supper. Don't know all that entirely, but yeah. uh, but it does seem that the, at least that upper room initially, when Jesus first you know had them set up there for the for the Passover that did kind of seem as kind of a, a, a quick base of operations for these early disciples because yeah, that's, that's where they were after the, the resurrection had, had took place. Um, and so maybe this was just kind of brethren just knew, hey, th- that's the go-to spot where you can always just bet. And, and I've, I've observed that in my own life in, in in congregations throughout my life that like there's just brethren's houses that you just can always know it's, it's an open place. Christians are going to be there, you know, kind of in and out all the time. Friday night Bible studies at so and so's house, um, you know, gatherings that are just constantly taking place. And uh, I just wonder if, if Mary was just kind of known for that same kind of uh, hospitality
1: in that same way. Maybe so. And it doesn't seem like the angel directed Peter there. This no. was after he came to his senses yeah. and, and the angel was gone. So he he knew that they were going to be there,
0: and for all we know, there maybe had been prayer being offered for James prior place. to this, and Peter may have even been there at right. that same house. Yeah. And so he just, oh, no, of course, that's where, where, where would they be? Oh, they'd be here. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Uh, The mention here of of John Mark, this is um, this is the same guy that we believe wrote the Gospel of Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of good outside biblical evidence that that points to that. Um, And it is the same John Mark that we're going to... This is, again, Luke kind of doing these quick introductions to people who later on become become important parts, and he's going to pop up, um, well, even right here at the end of of this chapter as being introduced as being a a part of the work that Paul and Barnabas are doing together. Um, The point of verse 12, though, is that these people are together praying. Verse 13, And when Peter knocked at the door of the gateway... A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate. You can't say that, you know, there's not humor in the Bible. This (laughs) is this is a scene that I feel like I've seen in movies multiple times. And and they stole it from here. This is where they plagiarized it from. (laughs) In her joy, she did not open the gate, but she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, You are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. Now, I'm going to say something about the angel thing here in just a second. But I think this is probably evidence that maybe some of the prayers that they were offering might have not been in full faith that God was actually going to act. Right. Um, Which I'm not knocking because I think that's a very human thing. I, there have been prayers that I have offered, and, and I, I don't say this proudly, I say this to my shame, there have been prayers that I've offered to God where in the back of my mind I've thought that, that this isn't likely to happen. Yeah. I'm going to ask anyway, I'm going I'm I'm to say these things to the Lord, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, and so yeah, I, I think it is uh, kind of normal for some of them to have said, if not all of them to have said, <laughs> no, there's no way. Peter's not out there. I mean, we, the, he, he, the, we know what Herod already he's already got a track record. He's already picked off James. We know this is going to happen, and we know that's what, what's going to happen to Peter as well. Um, and so just as Peter maybe was fully expecting he was going to die, I think they were maybe expecting uh, to some degree, that he was probably going to die.
1: Yeah, I, I've always thought that this this scenario is just, it, it's funny in, in the the fact that, you know, she just left him out there. Ah! <laughs> but then you come to to this point and and they're like, you're out of your mind. Uh, I mean, it, it's just like, you're crazy. There's no way that he's right there. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes I think, and I don't know, uh, it, it's hard to know what's going on in their minds. And, and it's hard to know... Uh, you know, what they expected to have happen. You know, you ask for Peter to be delivered. Sometimes I think when we pray to God, we uh, also, uh, we say, here's here's what I'm expecting, God, and here's how I want you to do it. It's like, you know, that's that's not how God operates. Yeah. You know, he, he can do far greater than we can even imagine. And so sometimes if, if we think we know, and this is dangerous, but if we think we know what's best and, and we tell God, here's how I want it to to." roll out if it doesn't happen that way maybe that's a good thing yeah um because you know maybe they were hoping that the next day right before the execution you know the guy would like drop his sword or something i, I don't know right right um but they they definitely did not expect this to be the outcome
0: yeah the totally unexpected um and maybe that's the word i should have used earlier when i was talking about hopeless uh, situation just it's totally unexpected this was just outside the realm of what they thought was was really possible yeah. um, and um,
1: and they and they've seen a lot <laughs> yeah yeah um, um, but I guess the hopelessness of, of James of you know knowing that that had happened yeah I'm sure that was that was a big major role into that
0: yeah um, so they say you, you wrote a sorry you, you're out of your mind you're just you're seeing things Then the last part of the verse and they kept saying it is his angel. Now, um, th- th- I guess there's probably d- different ways that that's been taken, but I'm just going to say that I think that there were people there who still had something that was popularly thought amongst the Jews at that time, and that is the concept of the guardian angel. And, and that is a concept that's still believed by many today. Uh I'm not going to just say that, that that's not true. I'm just simply going to say, I don't think the Bible teaches that. Hmm. Um, and just because these people said, oh, it's his guardian angel, um, well, that didn't make it so. You know, just because some, somebody says something and it's recorded in the scripture, well that, well, that doesn't mean that that's actually the case. You know, Pharaoh said, well, well who's God that I should listen to him or obey him? Oh, well, see, Pharaoh said there's no God.
1: Well, yeah, he said that. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's recorded in the Bible, but that doesn't mean there is no God. Um, and the same here with this guardian angel thing. Um, I, there's just there's not anything in Scripture that I think clearly teaches that. The idea that each person has assigned to them you know, a specific angel who represents them, takes care of them. In this case, I don't know what they were thinking that, I mean, does your guardian angel look like you? You know because if she <laughs> yeah. saw someone that she thought looked like Peter or had you know Peter's sounding voice, um, d- does the angel just assume your visual look or the sound of your voice? I don't know what what the thinking was. Um, but 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 they they obviously were wrong whatever yeah, they thought
1: yeah. they, they they was wrong in their thinking. yeah I, I think that they were so uh, surprised and sometimes we're just so caught off guard that we say things that, yeah. you know, once you look back on it later, it's like, well, obviously, no, that wasn't it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe that was something like that.
0: And I say one you know, thing about the guardian angel thing, lest somebody, you know, hears this and uh, takes offense at the idea that, well, they're saying there's no such thing as guardian angel. And there may be people listening who do believe that idea and, and find comfort in that idea that I have my own personal, you know, angel who's watching over me. Uh, I'll tell you what I take greater comfort in is... That like that passage in Hebrews that talks about ministering spirits that are working on our behalf. I take greater comfort in the thought that there is a whole host of angels yeah. who are at the beck and call, ready to serve on on our behalf. there's not just one. There's there's all these. They have an interest in us. They care about us. Um, you know the rejoicing that they have when a sinner repents and turns back to God ought to show us that they, they do have a genuine care and concern for our well-being. They want us to be there where they are someday. Um, and so guardian angel singular, or whether we're talking about a host of, of, of angels working on our behalf, um, we, we ought to find some, some assurance and, and comfort in that uh, regardless.
1: Yeah, and doesn't matter even if there's just one angel looking after you or you know how it works together. We know that all of them care. Because of of passages like that. And um, it's not just like, well, if this one angel doesn't see everything, then, you know, I guess I'm out of luck. Right. Right. (laughs) No, God sees everything. He he knows what's going on. And so he's going to cause whatever that needs to happen to happen.
0: Yeah. So while they're inside the, the house there, you know, going back and forth, having however long this conversation was about, it's Peter. No, it's an angel. Oh, it's Peter. It's an angel. Uh, Peter, verse eighteen or 16, he's still out knocking on the door. <laughs> Come on. Let me in.
1: It's really a funny sight.
0: An amazing thing has happened this night, and I need to get in there and tell you guys about it. And when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed. I imagine so. <laughs> Verse 17, But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Um, I'm going to take it that when uh, he says, Share these things with James and the other brothers, I kind of think that that James is probably talking about James the brother of Jesus.
1: I think so. uh, it's definitely not the one from the beginning. It's of definitely not that one.
0: No. Uh, and, and James, again, was another common name. Uh, and we have several of those that, you know, all the Simons and all those guys you have to separate out. And maybe there was lots of other Jameses uh, in the congregation uh, at Jerusalem. But um, he, he wanted others to, to not only to, you know, be happy for him that he was still alive, but the reporting of this kind of news, once again... Uh, is really kind of the same reason that Peter came and reported what had happened with Cornelius. It, it, the result is to cause people to, to glorify God, to, mm-hmm. to give Him glory and give Him thanks and so that He's magnified even more uh, as a result of that. And, um, and so that's the, that's the idea here of sharing that news with them. Verse 18, Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the centuries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. And so uh, Herod's not going to just, you know, let this completely get off the hook. Somebody's going to have to pay the the price for this. And unfortunately, it's these, you know, these soldiers who were there and, um, you know, Whatever their failures were, you know there there is lots of comparisons. I think to you know kind of what happened with you know, Jesus at the tomb. You know they placed yeah. soldiers there purposely because they thought you know something might happen or disciples would want to steal the body or what have you. Um, I often wonder whatever happened to those guys. Yeah, you know uh, did they get in trouble for for that? Um, Herod saw to it for sure that uh, somebody was going to pay for. You know, falling asleep at the wheel and letting Peter get away like this.
1: Yeah, it seems like those soldiers at, at the tomb weren't they the ones who were told to, you know, they were paid to say that I fell asleep. Yeah. It's like, well, how did they get off with that? One? Yeah, I know. Um, but you know, things like this, it makes me think. Sometimes when we do the right thing, other people suffer because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes it, it's easier to think, I'll do the right thing no matter what happens to me. But when we start thinking about what that's going to do to other people, you know, oh, this is really going to inconvenience them. If you know they, they've invited me to this place and I can't go, you know, it's it's like I'd be really putting them out if I didn't didn't go, you know, or if I didn't do this or or, or whatever it is. Um, and you know, here's a, a situation where Peter, because he got out of prison, these these guys they died. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, that's heavy. That's yeah. heavy stuff. Um, and, and so sometimes doing the right thing for us means that other people are going to suffer in some way. Um, and, and, and that's not Peter's
0: fault. No, Let's, let's be very clear. Yeah. The, the blame is with Herod because he's too embarrassed to True. just own up to the fact that a miracle has taken place here, <laughs> which is the last thing that he wants to admit. You know, we're going to yeah. notice here in this last little section what a prideful man he was. Yep. and the thought of him humbling himself and stating, "Yeah, um, God was at work here," and an angel, you know, you know, again, that's going to lose points with with the Sadducees and whoever else is is opposed to all of this. And yep. he is way too proud to acknowledge that. And so he's the one to blame for their death. But yeah, the, the principle and the point that you're making there is still is still true. That yes. We stand to do what's right. Uh, others who are in the wrong um, are, are going to suffer, and they may end up causing even others, even even to a degree. You could even say these soldiers are kind of innocent, yeah, at, right. at least of what they get killed for. Um, and anything to do with this, they were just doing their job, right, um, right. So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So Herod's em- em- embarrassment becomes the. Uh, the reason for the death of, of of these particular soldiers on this occasion, um, which leads to this last little section here in the chapter, uh, where we get some insight about about Herod, verse twenty. I'll,
1: I'll say this first, Do though. Um, so Herod, because of his position, his pride, his ego, his his unwillingness to to bow to the Lord. Uh, led to the deaths of others. Sometimes we're, we might not be in a position where our pride or arrogance uh, causes someone else to die, but I think our pride and arrogance can cause problems with people, and I think this this shows why we need to avoid that at all cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to really be careful about how we view ourselves.
0: Um, well, with that said, let's look at verse twenty. Um, well, the end of verse nineteen, it said that uh, he and I think this the he here still it's talking about Herod uh, that he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Mm-hmm. That that may be again just a- out of embarrassment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I need to leave here instead of trying to explain myself or what happened here with Peter. Uh, I'll just do the cowardly thing and I'll just go someplace else for a kill while. Kill people, run away. Yeah, kill people, run away. Uh, Let them speculate and try to figure out what exactly is the story there. Uh, So he goes down to Caesarea, um, and that's where then verse 20 picks up. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, "The voice of a god, and not of a man." And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Um, Kind of a gory ending (laughs) uh, to to the. This is the only chapter that really gives any details about uh, this Herod that I know of. but probably a very fitting kind of ending for someone who, in his pomp and in his, uh, you know, just pride, let's we'll use that word again because that's what the text talks about, um, gets struck down in just one of the most probably kind of humiliating ways to die. He's to be eaten by worms. And I don't know if, you know, this is just some. Some in bodily infection, uh, or if it's some kind of special worms that just eat people, I don't know.
1: <laughs> people eating worms. <laughs> people eating worms.
0: Uh, if it's just some kind of like an intestinal thing that he's affliction that he's he's struck with, uh, but he gets struck down and he gets hum- humbled. You know, I, it makes me think of what's said and at, at the end of the parable of the uh, the tax collector and the Pharisee uh, that you know, those who humble themselves, they will be exalted, but the one who exalts himself is going to be humbled. And Herod exalted himself and the Lord humbled him in the, the worst kind of way, strikes him dead on the spot.
1: Yeah, now I, I think that uh, Josephus, a historian um, that, that records some events that we read about here, um, his account, it at first glance looks different than what's here because here it says, immediately the angel struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Um, according to Josephus' account of this, uh, Herod fell sick suddenly, but it was like two days later when he actually died. Uh, and, and it does seem like it was some type of, I don't know, intestinal thing or, or something, worms. It, uh, it it doesn't seem like, you know, the worms were like busting out of the ground and, and like taking them down. <laughs> like tremors or something. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> none of that. Uh, but I think the immediately there in verse 23, was that it, uh, right then? That's when the angel struck him down. And that, that, that's probably a, good,
0: a better way to, to, to understand that. Yeah, the immediately. Uh, I've, I've got Mark on the brain. You know, Mark is immediately, uh, yeah. and, and when Mark says it, hey, something's happening right then and there. It does, yeah. That's but true. yeah, that's it. it probably is just an indication that you know he was an otherwise healthy person up until that moment, and then bang, he's this terrible intestinal problem, and then it's Matt. He, he which you know. I probably would have been would have made that more painful. Then you know yeah. the fact that his his if, if it's an illness that's prolonged over a couple of days instead of just being struck dead on the spot, and this is the Lord sending a message to him. And I wonder what kind of thoughts were going through Herod's mind during those if it was a couple of days, his last couple of days on earth, and whether he you know had any penitence at all uh, or any recognition that um, you know God. Yeah, I, I did not give him uh, the the honor and the glory that he was due in all of this and how his hand was at work and everything. Um, all of this just points to the fact that God takes very seriously um, not just the sin of pride, but but that specific phrase that's used in verse 23, that he did not give God the glory. Mm-hmm. And I, I I will tell you that in, in recent weeks, um, I listened to a sermon by a guy, who actually was not? He's not a he's not a Church of Christ preacher. <laughs> yeah. He was a denominational preacher, uh, but it was actually one of the, the most powerful sermons I've ever heard by someone that is outside of, I believe, is outside the body of Christ. Um, he preached about how the whole message of Scripture is is, is the glory of God. Mm. that that everything is designed you know that the Bible is not our story as we sometimes think it is where we go and you know we read the story of David and Goliath and I'm David and I gotta fight all the Goliaths in my life uh, that when we take that approach to Scripture uh, it's very selfish uh, and yeah. it, it becomes about me when in reality the Bible is about God and it is about what is for his glory Um you know there's that the 23rd psalm you know that's arguably one of the most famous chapters in the whole bible the lord is my shepherd oh and we just we love that yeah the, the the personalness of that he's my shepherd and look at all the things that he's doing for me uh you know he leads me beside the still waters uh he restores my soul god's doing all this stuff for me because man i'm i'm really something god's really into me <laughs> uh and, and but then he, he he in the in the sermon he makes the point uh he he it uh, makes me to lie down in green pastures. And then what's the next thing it says? For His namesake. Hmm. It's for Him. It's for His glory. So that now when I'm, now that I go back and I'm rereading Psalm 23, I'm not so much thinking about you know all of the stuff God's doing for me. I'm thinking about how great He is, how wonderful the shepherd is. And you start reading in Scripture, there is just so much of things that God does for people, not because we're so awesome, no, it's because he's so awesome. In fact, there's a number of times in the Old Testament where um, you know God will say things like he's going to spare Israel, or he's going to do these kindnesses for Israel, and God will explicitly say, it's not because you're awesome. In fact, <laughs> you're pretty awful. Yeah. But I'm going to do this for my glory so that my name is great in all of the earth. And when we come along and, and want to deprive God of that, maybe intentionally, kind of like Herod, or maybe just kind of unknowingly, um, I, I think the Lord takes terrible offense at that, and it's really reshaped. I've I've never been more appreciative in my life for a sermon preached by a denominational preacher than I was for for that sermon, because uh, I was I was able to amen the entire thing. Um, and Scripture bears that out, that the glory of God is what, that's what our lives are about, is to live them to the glory of God. And I realize you know, we think about, well, you know, how can I drink this Mountain Dew to the glory of God? And, <laughs> and, and oh, 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 the, we'll stop and think about that. God gave me the, 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 the capacity and provided the means so that I could go to the store and purchase that cup of Mountain Dew. To Him be the glory for that. Uh you know and you can get down to the most minute details of life to where God can be glorified uh in those ways. Um and Herod is he is um he's arguably the principal defender at least in the Bible that I think of uh for just completely going against that concept of of giving God the glory that he's due, wanting to rob and deprive him of it.
1: Yeah, that that's a really good point. Um you know, you think Thank God for giving us bodies that can uh, take in food and yeah. drink and, and break it down and that sort of thing. Um, but you know, you, you also think of like Nebuchadnezzar in mm-hmm. the Old Testament, uh, where he was he thinking about how great he was and how how much he had done for Babylon. Well, God turned him into an animal <laughs> for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, really brought him down. And every time we see that constantly, you know. And and I like what you said about the glory of God. It, it, that's what it's all about. There was a. I think it may be 2 Corinthians, um, but Paul makes a, a statement, um, something along the lines of uh, he thanks God uh, when just basically the idea of evangelism, teaching others, uh, not not necessarily just because uh, it, it's good for them and you're saving their soul, but so that God will be glorified even more. Mm. Um, and that's, that's an interesting way to look at that because sometimes I think, uh, even even in evangelism, we, we think that, you know what, I'm being completely selfless because I am helping other people. But still then, we can, we can do that with an attitude of pride, too. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, what it's all about is the more people we teach, the more people who will be praising and honoring God, and that brings more glory to Him. Yes. Um, and I think that, that that's the way to look at it. And that's the way that, that the apostles viewed their work. It was not about them. It was, you know, glory to God. You know, so how dare we accept, and sometimes, you know, people people give us compliments, and, and people, you know, say, you know, you did a good job with that, or, or whatever, and, that, and that's good, you know, that's encouraging. Yeah. We need encouragement. But um, when we take that too far, and we make that be a prideful thing, be like, you know what, I was pretty good, you know, that, that was a good lesson, wasn't it? Um, you know we we need to just be like no well well thank God for that you know yeah. uh, and and point all glory back to Him success and
0: um, maybe wealth and um, you know positions uh, of of power those are th- those are strong temptations that that often cause us to. To, to not ascribe proper glory to God. You know, Herod's in a position of, he's in a lofty position, he's king, even though, it, again, it's kind of a token figurehead uh, position. But he has some measure of power, at least at least in the eyes of the people, he seems like a powerful guy. If you're the king, right. that probably means you're a pretty wealthy guy. Uh, you know, you've know, you lived in luxury for maybe a good portion of your life, if not all of your life. Uh, and so, yeah, it's really easy to get to thinking, um, I'm something. I'm pretty awesome. Hmm. Look, at, look at what I was able to do, and yeah, God help me. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it, but 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 we can struggle with that. Even you know, I, probably most of us that are you and I talking right now, and anybody else who's listening. I mean, we wouldn't consider ourselves rich, but in comparison to everybody else in the rest of the world and throughout history, we really kind of are. Yeah, um, and. And so it's very easy for even, you know, middle-class Americans to develop the kind of pride where it's the, you know, pull myself by my, up by my own bootstraps sort of thinking, um, and, um, yeah, God will help me along the way. Um, and that's just really kind of a backwards way of thinking. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's Him, what, what, what He's done. Um, and I'm merely just trying my best to cooperate with him and operate within his will, um, using the um, free will that he's given me to exercise. Um, but Herod paid the ultimate price because because he wanted to to steal from God what was what belonged only to God. You know these people shouting what they shout. That's the other thing is is when people do what you were talking about people that come and want to say encouraging things to us. I mean, we probably don't ever have people come up to us and say, "Oh, Jason Bridgman, the voice of a god and not of a man." Uh, I've never got I've gotten lots of extreme compliments, never got one to that degree, but we do get patted on the back, especially in when, yeah. you know, since we we preach and teach and do things like that. And so uh, sometimes people feel even just kind of obligated to give obligatory, encouraging words, and it, 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 like you said, it's appreciated, uh, and, and yeah. I'm thankful for that. But but that always has to be tempered uh, in our minds, uh, and not just those who preach and teach, but anybody who uh, does things that receives praise and adulation of others. Again, that's not to say that giving or receiving praise. From men is bad and wrong, necessarily, but it always has to be taken you know with a grain of salt and it has to be kept in its, in its rightful place and that's a the devil will use that he will pounce on that you know on the snap of a finger uh, if he sees that we're not on
1: guard for it yeah you know, I think the sin of pride is is one of the most difficult sins to realize that you're guilty of um because and sometimes we think it, it it's cut it's it's kind of funny, but it it's terrible we We get in this mindset of man i'm so much better about not being prideful than I used to be, yeah it is like wait <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, what am I doing right now yeah. you know and and we we just it, it's such such an easy thing to fall into yeah um and i think it's that, idolatry yeah it's it's, yeah, it's, 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 it it's the
0: the deification of of self mm. is what it is,
1: yeah. Uh, and so I think that a more healthy way of looking at that, instead of, and even instead of trying to like put ourselves down, it's just we do need to think about ourselves less. Because yeah. if we glorify God more, we're looking at Him, yeah. and we're not thinking about uh, how great I am or how terrible I am. Yeah. You know, I'm just, thank God that God is who He is. Yeah. Um, I so. heard a
0: brother one time, you know, his definition of humility was, he said it's not uh, thinking less of yourself, he said, "It's thinking of yourself less, as you mm-hmm. just as you yeah. just said." And uh, we say all that, and I'm gonna be the first to say, th- this is hard to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, pride and argument can be made that pride is what really underlies every sin yeah. uh, at the end of the day. Um, and so this is this is tough stuff. And but it can get out of hand, and Herod's example uh, shows us that. Um, verse 24, despite. What a bad day that was for Herod. Verse twenty-four says, "But the word of God increased and multiplied." And so here's kind of the, uh, the 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 flip side of where things looked at the beginning of the chapter, where things looked bleak and dark and and somewhat hopeless. We got an apostle dying, and another one's picked off, and you know his his head's you know right there on the chopping block, ready to be taken as well. Um, now here, by the end of the chapter, the complete reversal, where God's word just continues to go forward. God's going to, God's work is going to be done regardless um, of what's going on. He's going to find a way for it to be accomplished. Uh, verse twenty-five: And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service. Remember, they've been in, uh, they've been in Antioch, and, and they'd already kind of begun some of their labors uh, together in the previous chapter and bringing with them John, uh, whose other name was Mark. And so uh, here's the the brief mention of of John Mark going to be a part of some of the work that Paul and Barnabas are going to do together. And unfortunately, John Mark's presence, or actually his lack of presence later on, yeah. is going to serve as a catalyst for some, uh, some problems and dissension between Paul and Barnabas. That's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But uh, all of that sets the stage for... Um, what's going to be kind of the official first missionary journey of of Paul, beginning in chapter 13. Um, Other thoughts on chapter 12 before we put a bow on this?
1: I just think that the overall scene here of seeing the darkest of dark times, um, but God is still there. God God is still active. He still delivers even when when people are refusing to listen. People Mm -hmm. are actively seeking to uh you know stomp it out um doesn't matter because god is still there and god still cares um and that's that's i think should be encouraging to us yeah um hopefully we we do continually pray we continually uh come together and and are unified uh and and we just don't lose heart because you know there there are going to be difficult times there there are going to be times where uh you know the apostles are killed. Um, you know, figuratively speaking, in our lives, there's there's going to be some some tough things to go through, but you know, just keep going, keep persevering, uh, and keep finding hope in the word. And I think that that's why we're here. That's why we're studying, and that's that's what I hope that we can continue doing with this. Yeah, big big big
0: ideas in this chapter: devotion to prayer, um, you know, the humbling of ourselves, and keeping keeping pride. Uh, from becoming a a monster it's probably said more about angels in this chapter than I thought we would have but <laughs> it's a good chapter to do sure. that with um, so yeah the scene will shift back to uh to paul and and Barnabas in chapter thirteen and uh, I'm looking forward to um, embarking on that first uh, missionary journey with them and getting into some of the uh, the exploits of 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 Paul because Paul it, it, now we're going to kind of start to see a transition to where Paul is going to kind of become the more prominent figure uh, from here on out. Peter's not completely done, but um, but now we're going to be watching Paul for a little while. And we hope you'll join us next time as we talk about chapter thirteen. Thanks for joining us for uh, this study of chapter twelve. And as we say, well, I don't think we say it every time, but we do try to say it from time to time. Uh, if there's something that we've said that um, you know engenders further questions. Uh, if there's something we've said that you think we were just wrong on, Jason and I are just a couple of dudes with Bibles in front of us, and uh, we're you know as I pointed out earlier, there's some fallibility in the translation of Easter in verse four. Uh, we are just as fallible even here as we're talking about uh, Scripture, and so don't hesitate to uh, contact us through Facebook or whatever other means, and we'll be glad to sit down and uh, be corrected or uh, study further with you, but we look forward to talking about chapter 13 next time.